today is Palm Sunday. We're going to celebrate Palm Sunday as we've been all morning. Uh, this is a day a couple of thousand years ago where Jesus made his way toward Jerusalem ahead to the village of Bethphage, about a mile away from the city of the Mount of Olives, or from the foot of the Mount of Olives, away from the city of Jerusalem. And he had asked his disciples to go look for a donkey tied by a house with its unbroken colt next to it. And Jesus instructed the disciples, as we read earlier, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. So the men, they find this donkey, and they, they brought it and its colt to Jesus. They put their cloaks on the colt. Jesus sat on the young donkey, and he slowly, humbly made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And in this path, people threw their cloaks down and put palm branches on the road before him, and others waved palm branches in the air. You see, by riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. She says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here Jesus claims his rightful place as the Messiah, the Messiah that comes to bring peace to the world. And throwing cloaks in someone's path, it was an act of homage and and an act of submission, and along with the throwing of palm branches served as a recognition of, of royalty. The people recognized at this point that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So at this point, large Passover crowds surrounded him, shouting Hosanna in Matthew 21.9. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. By this moment, the commotion was spreading throughout the entire city uh, because he had had earlier raised Lazarus from the dead. So this this is spreading, this news. And these people, they didn't fully understand Christ's mission yet. Uh, but their, their worship, it honored God. And then in another Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in Matthew 21, 16, it says, Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replies. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And in Luke 19, 39 through 40, the Pharisees, they're filled with jealousy of Jesus and afraid of the Romans, say, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replies, I tell you, as we read earlier this morning, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. Now, a lot of us know this story well, and we celebrate this day, Palm Sunday. We rejoice and we praise because the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah who came to save and bring peace to all the world had come. And like it was back then, this is a day to celebrate It kicks off Holy Week, where where we remember the amazing sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross just days after, and the miracle resurrection on Easter, a week that changed the world forever. The triumphal entry was a celebration, and for many, the belief the Messiah was here to conquer their enemies. Even though they didn't know what was to come in the coming days, they were overjoyed at the thought of their king being there to save them. And I don't know about you, but if you grew up in the church, you know, we kind of always got the happy parts of this day. 
and it's good to celebrate them. We need to do that. I think about being in Sunday school, and you remember the felt boards? Oh, yeah, you remember the felt boards. They had the little fig- figurines. They had the little Jesus you put on there, and you had the, the Pharisees pointing their finger, and you had people worshiping and all that. And then, then they hand out palm branches after church to all the kids, right? And surely uh, my brother and I would be playing like, like their swords, you know. But it was. It's a day of celebration. It is a day of celebration. The palm branches, the cloaks, the rejoicing, the hosanna. And don't get me wrong about where we're headed today, as you see from my sermon title, Jesus Wept. This is a day to look back on and rejoice, but we need to remember a few other things. Because as Jesus looked upon the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, as many of you know, is an amazing view of the city. His response was much different than that of celebration. In Luke 19, verse 41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. This is such a powerful moment that just really cannot be missed as we remember Palm Sunday. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. He's not weeping over the the suffering that he's going to endure in the next few days. It's also a different weeping than the weeping he did over Lazarus, his friend who had died. This is a weeping, a grieving over God's people. And this shows Jesus' heart for humanity. See, Jesus had one mission on earth. One mission. To save that which is lost. In Luke 4, 18 through 19, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He weeps. And not as if he believes he's failed in this mission. But he weeps for God's people. Because he knows at this point the Jews had decided not to turn to him. And he knew what would come to Jerusalem because of it. He weeps over the fact that they were far more concerned with their laws, their rules, their traditions. They couldn't even see the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for for so long, standing right in front of them. And this grieved Jesus so deeply because his love, his heart for humanity, for each person to come into full communion with God the Father, he wept because of his love for God's people. Have you ever asked the question to yourself, why does God love me? I mean, we know he loves. We know he, he loves us all. But why? Why does he love us? We know that we don't deserve it. We know that there's nothing that we can do to earn it. Why does God love us? Well, first of all, you were made in his image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, the very way he created you connects him to, connects you to him like no other creature on this earth. You have characteristics of God, strengths 
that are inside of you, uniqueness that is inside you that no other creature uh, possesses because God loves you. You are made in his image. Second and very important is in John 1, it tells us that God is love. The very nature of God is love. And the very nature of God is to share his love. He is fully good. He is fully loving. And the characteristics of God just continually flow out of him. You see, he didn't need the world. He didn't need us. He didn't need people. He does not lack. Instead, he's so full of all that it is, it is good that he, his love just overflows. And it just spills out of him onto us. And he created you. And he created me out of this overflowing love so that we could in turn share this love with those around us. He loves you so you can love others. So now we can understand Jesus' sorrow in this moment of everyone celebrating around him. I kind of have this slow motion movie-like picture in my mind of he's on the donkey and he's entering and they're worshiping him. And maybe he even has a smile on his face because, you know, he's, he, he's, he's accepting their worship. But then he turns his face to the city of Jerusalem, and his countenance changes immediately, and tears just start streaming down his face. Because as he looks across a city that has completely missed the point of their existence, all he can do is weep. He's heartbroken for those that are lost. He's heartbroken for, for those that have decided not to turn to him. And you know, his heart still breaks today. He still weeps for those who are lost. And Christians in the room, I think we need to let this reframe how we think about our own existence here on earth. Maybe we need a bit of a reminder of the point of our existence and I'm preaching to me just as much as anyone else in this room this morning. How have we allowed our hearts to be broken for those that love Jesus? Is there room in your heart to cons maybe consider it a bit differently, what it means to go after people, what it means to go after pe the people that Jesus loves, to have the eyes of Jesus? My wife had, has a story from a couple of weeks ago, um, and I'll probably butcher it. She can but you guys will never know if I got it wrong. So she, um, she's at the library with the kids, and um, she just felt the Lord kind of prompt her to, to speak to this woman. Her name's Rachel. Um, and he said, you have $20 in your purse. I want you to give that $20 to her. So she was going to go do that. She got a little distracted and then looked, looked back, and, and Rachel had, had left. And so she was a little bummed. What's that about? Well, she gets in her car and, and starts to drive. Well, she sees Rachel at the bus stop. And I think she had been talking to my daughter a little bit about it. And Annabelle said, hey, there she is. And so they stopped. And Cynthia just said, okay, God, you clearly want me to talk to this woman today and give her $20. And she had a black eye. Um, no telling what her story is about. But Cynthia just spent a, a little bit of time talking to her, gave her the money, um, she mentioned Jesus to her, and her, her eyes lit up. And then they said goodbye. And we don't really know what kind of happened with that and where she is today, uh, but we pray for her every single day. A core value at Central is 
attentive eyes, one of our five attentive eyes. And it's one of I, that I really love, but sometimes it can be talked about as kind of a cute, feel-good sort of phrase, um, but it actually cuts right to the heart of God. He wants us to have his eyes to see people the way he sees people. So Lord, give me your eyes so that I can see the lost around me. Lord, give me your eyes so that I can see, but give me your love so that I can act. I want to do just a quick exercise with you guys. For the next 15 seconds, 15 to 30 seconds, if you could just close your eyes, and I want you to ask God to set somebody in your heart, in your mind, that you could talk to this week. Maybe you're going to have a conversation about Jesus. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just checking in on a neighbor or a coworker. But just take 10 seconds right now and just ask God to do that. So maybe God didn't set somebody in your mind right this minute, but keep praying that he will and pray for that person who he does set in your mind and pray for the opportunity that the Lord's going to present uh, to have a conversation with them this week. So Jesus goes on to say in Luke 19, verse 42, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You see, we don't get to a place of seeing how God sees until he has our heart. God can't break your heart for what breaks his until you give him yours. God cannot break your heart for what breaks his until you give him yours. Jesus wants your heart. Jesus grew so frustrated with the Pharisees during his ministry because they were so blinded by their own rules and their, their, their ways, their traditions, their laws, to see that Jesus just wanted their hearts. So he continually challenged them in their religious ways. An example of this is in Mark 7, when the Pharisees noticed some of the disciples eating uh, with unwashed hands. And I want you to do something for me when, as I read this. I want you to allow Jesus to preach this morning. This is a bit of a lengthy scripture here, but Jesus is going to preach to us this morning. I like to sometimes when I read the Gospels and he's rebuking the Pharisees, not look at the Pharisees as some awful people, but remember that even in my own heart that I can be like the Pharisees. And maybe Jesus wants to rebuke something in me this morning. So we're going to pick it up at verse 6. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. That hurts. How often do our religious traditions replace God's commands? He goes on to say, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down 
and you do many things like that. How often do we allow our religious traditions to replace God's commands? We pick up on verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Preach, Jesus. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And he carries on later with the disciples in private saying, You cannot become unclean by what you do or don't put in your body. It's the things from within a person's heart. He goes on to list some of those things. These things come from within, and and these are what defile a person. If we're giving our heart over to these things, or giving our heart over to the traditions that we follow, and not giving it to our Father, there's really no chance for us to be able to share his love. We don't get to a place of having our heart broken for the things that grieve Jesus until, until we've given him our heart. It's when we give our heart that we can truly have our heart broken for the lost around us. During his ministry, Jesus constantly was breaking cultural barriers, breaking down the religious laws that were really far too hard for the average person to understand and follow anyways. And he was replacing it with the one true way to follow him. He's breaking down barriers between Jews and Gentiles, between men and women and children. He's breaking down barriers about the Sabbath and what that means. So I want to ask today, what barriers do you have in your life that are keeping you from fullness to God? What barriers are in your life does Jesus need to break down? What religious traditions have you allowed to creep into your life that become more important than what God has asked you to do? Also, what religious walls and traditions do we put around other people that make it difficult for them to come into fullness with their Savior? What things are we placing in our life and allowing ourselves to believe, well, if I just, if I just do this right, or if I just do this right, or if I can get this better, then I can come to God a little bit more full. See, we can get caught up in our behaviors, that we miss the whole point. And maybe you say, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't watch rated R movies, I don't dance. I don't know, what are the rules these days? It seems to change with every generation. (laughs) But I do all the behavioral things that make me look Christian, but I haven't truly given my heart, and my worship in turn is in vain, like he said to the Pharisees. This church is what makes Jesus weep. This is what makes Jesus look over Springfield and look over Central Assembly and look over our own hearts and weep. You may say, I give in the offering. I serve my church. I raise my hands during worship. Those are all amazing things and things we truly believe bring you closer to God and allow you to, to, to grow in your relationship with him. But those things do not make you a follower of Christ. Because God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. God doesn't want your time, he wants your heart. That's our starting point. Everything else from there will flow out. If you want God to break your heart for what breaks his, give him yours. Maybe ask, how do I do this? How do I give God my heart? We can just say that all day. What does that actually mean? 
Well, Jesus makes it easy for us. It's about daily devotion to his word and time spent in his presence. Have you ever noticed when you're trying to eat healthier, you go on a diet, um, you got the motivation at the beginning, it's kind of easy. The more you eat healthy, the more you want to eat healthy, the more you crave those healthy foods. And then at some point you, you, you have a cheat day, because we all get a cheat day, right? I heard that. Get a cheat day. Sometimes I get a cheat week. That might be my issue. But you easily start to revert and start craving those not-so-healthy foods, right? Before you know it, you're, you're right back where you started. Well, I think spending time in the Word and time in the Lord's presence is kind of this same way. The more I'm in the Word, the more I crave it. The more I'm in His presence, the more I want to be in His presence. But the reverse is true. Because the more I replace my devotion to God with the things of this world, the more I crave those things. The more I'm on social media, the more I crave it. The more I obsess over the perfect house and the perfect car, the more I crave those things. The more, the more I allow certain sins in my life, the more I crave that sin. And this is why we have to make a renewed commitment to his word every single day. I asked God into my heart when I was five years old, and then again at seven and 10 and 12 and every other week in youth group as a teenager. You know, I believe God honors my original commitment as a five-year-old. I truly do. But I also know that it doesn't stop there and that God doesn't stop there with me. He wants to do far more in me and through me than that day as a five-year-old. He's not finished with us at that point. You know, I'm so grateful that we have a lead pastor in Jim Bradford who's pushing us week after week, Sunday after Sunday, to press into what God has for us as a church, to grow in our hunger for the Lord and to not let spiritual drift take us. And this is what this year has been about. And it's been so exciting to be a part of a church that wants this, that wants to grow deeper. And I'm so proud, so proud of our church, so proud of all of you, and I'm proud to be a part of it. But having these amazing Sunday morning experiences without the everyday recommitment to the Lord and, and being in his presence and being in his word, it just doesn't cut it, it doesn't cut it. He wants more. Pastor Jim, Jim gave us this scripture at the beginning of the year. You remember it, Luke 5, verse 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And this is where we gotta be. As individuals, we have to just keep pressing in. And life gets busy. I get it. I had like five different baseball, football, and gymnastics things this week. Like a lot of you got. We, have, we all have busy lives. But the busier it gets, the more we need to withdraw to a lonely place and pray. You see the verse before, verse 16? It says that the news spread about him all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. He's at the height of his ministry at this point. He's at the busiest point of his ministry, yet he often withdrew and prayed because he longed to be in his father's presence. It was the only way for him to accomplish his mission here on earth, and it's the only way for us to share his love and to share his love with those around us that need it. gave a bit of a summary at the beginning of Palm Sunday when the disciples went to untie the donkey and bring it to Jesus as he asked there. There was a man who was the owner of that donkey. 
And he asked them, why are you taking this? And, and as we read again, they, they responded like Jesus said to, to do, the Lord needs it. Well, I don't know this owner, but he, he gave the donkey to the Lord, no questions asked. And this is where we need to be. We need to be Christ followers that with no question asked, we give the Lord what he needs. If he prompts me to talk to somebody in the grocery store, no questions asked. If he prompts me to walk across my street and ask my neighbor how they're doing, no questions asked. We just do it. But these promptings come when we've given him our heart. We've given time in the word and we've given time in his presence. Jesus wants your heart. Then the last two verses of Luke 19, Jesus continues again with great sorrow to detail the destruction that will, that will come to the city of Jerusalem. It says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will leave, not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Don't miss your time of visitation. Let's not also, like the Jewish people of the time, allow our visitation to slip away because your visitation is now. It is today. Right now is our time to stop looking at Jesus as an earthly king who's here to conquer the worldly things, our worldly enemies, but instead look at him as the king of our hearts who has come to defeat a much greater enemy, an enemy whose defeat has an impact far beyond the boundaries of this life. Because Jesus came to overthrow the enemy of our souls, to defeat the power of sin and death. He came as the Messiah, savior of, the soul, of our souls and giver of eternal life. So let's stop putting Jesus in our little worldly box like we like to do and start going after him. Let's stop allowing our own rules and our own traditions to get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. You know why? Because your life depends on it. Your neighbor's life depends on it. Your coworker's life depends on it. Your kids, your grandkids, their lives depend on it. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who's drifted away from their faith. Their life depends on you being hungry for the Lord day in and day out. Because God wants to break your heart for what breaks his. But we first got to give him ours every single day.